Well, last Sunday, we launched a new uh, sermon series here at Maple Grove Covenant Church called Walk. And walk is actually one of the most dominant metaphors in the Bible that's used to talk about uh, doing life with God or the Christian life. And last week, I talked about walking under the umbrella of God's mercies. And if you were gone last week, I encourage you to listen online. And then uh, through the course of this series that's going to take us all the way to May, to the end of May, we're going to be looking at walking through difficulties, walking in truth. And this morning, I'm so excited. Um, in fact, you can, I feel the passion from this corner over here between Bradley and, and Nick Johnson. But uh, uh, we have a, a guest preacher uh, this morning. He's going to talk about uh, walking um, as an image bearer. And Team World Vision is a great organization that we've been supporting for the past, I think, six or seven years, Nick. And uh, uh, World Vision has been doing some great work in terms of, of encouraging people to run as a way to uh, raise money for water uh, for children in Africa. And um, so I think it was a couple weeks ago, uh, Nick Johnson and uh, Bradley Hoffbauer, who's going to be up here in a second, we were on a conference call, and some of you knew this, I hurt my wrist a couple weeks ago, and I was over at Twin Cities Orthopedics, and I was going to get an x-ray, and I was on a conference call with Nick and Bradley. And once Bradley gets going, you can't stop him. So I'm walking, and I'm, I'm like trying to get a word in, but... And we went into the uh, x-ray technician area, and finally I said, I have to go, guys. And I just hung up. So uh, we're so thrilled to hear from Bradley this morning. And he, you, you guys are going to be blessed by his passion. And also to know that uh, when we talk about uh, raising money uh, for clean water, it's not just a humanitarian uh, effort. It's, it's not just like sort of a rescue effort. It's, it's couched, it's anchored in theology. And that's what Bradley's going to talk about this morning. So let's give a rounding applause to Bradley Hoffauer. Appreciate it, Craig. Well, thank you. Um, Thanks for welcoming me here this morning. Uh, I'm going to grab this stand over here. Um, Yeah, people talk about me like I'm a passionate guy, so maybe I should just kind of walk into that space, actually, as we're talking about walking today. So... um, Yeah, welcome again to Maple Grove Church, especially if you're new here. Um, For anyone new to Maple Grove Covenant, like like Craig said, the folks here have had just an incredible relationship with World Vision uh, for about the last six or seven years, and I've been blessed to be a part of that relationship. Um, So I just want to thank all of you actually here, because many of you are familiar, very familiar with World Vision, Team World Vision, and you have participated, contributed, been a part of that mission. So, you know, partly I just want to thank you, and especially for people who are new today, um, I just want to reassure you that this is kind of a long-standing relationship, and I just, uh, on behalf of World Vision, really appreciate this community specifically um, for me. For those unfamiliar with World Vision, I could deliver an entire hour-long message just about the organization, but I'm not going to do that for you even though I know you want to. I can tell by your eyes. Um, I'll just, I'm going to keep things simple. I'll just say, World Vision's primary focus in the world is to bring the fullness of life to all children, their families, and their communities across the world by tackling the root causes of poverty. That's just, that's just World Vision. If you want to check them out, go to the website, worldvision.org. Go to teamworldvision.org. You can learn as much as you want about World Vision by going and checking that out. Um, 
I've titled the message today, Walking as an Image Bearer, for a few reasons. Uh, But primarily, my primary reason is because I believe that understanding what it means to bear the image of God is critical to understanding the root, the centerpiece, and the, what I would call the penultimate expression of how to follow Jesus. So understanding what it is to bear God's image is actually at the root, it's the centerpiece of knowing what it means to follow Jesus. Um, In your bulletin, there should be an insert with uh, some questions and things like that. So before we begin, I want you to take that out. I want you to consider human characteristics. Love, joy, hope. I mean, you you just think of some. There's there's a whole list in the Bible. Fruits of the Spirit, however you want to kind of categorize it. Characteristics of human beings that you have seen in others or maybe in yourself. If you could just write down, right now I'm going to give you like two and a half minutes, or not even that long. If you just write down three to five characteristics that you would say are part of bearing the image of God. There's no right or wrong answer. Well, there are probably some wrong answers. <laughs> Murder. Okay, no, that's not good. Don't write that down. Three to five things that you've seen, characteristics that you've seen in other people. I'm going to be quiet if I can. Okay, so somebody wrote down skipping church. That's not, that's not right. But I'm not here to convince you that whatever you wrote down is right or wrong. That's not my goal today. Um, I, view, I view the kingdom of God and the gospel as kind of a diamond. Maybe you've heard this before. A diamond, if you turn it, you can see different things, right? And so if, if you see one thing, I see another thing. There can be different things that we see within that reflection. So I just... I want, to know, I want you to know that I'm not going to try to convince you that what you wrote is right or wrong, but I am going to understand what my, I'm going to unpack what my understanding of walking as an image bearer, especially as we move toward the, uh, the story of Jesus in the garden. So we're going to move through the Bible to the story of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane um, before he's about to go to his crucifixion. Um, he's praying in the garden. He's begging He's pleading that the crucifixion not be what comes next. We're going to move towards that moment today. Um, to start, I just want to take a look at that passage, and then we're going to kind of back off, and we're going to move back towards it. But I want to read this, read this to you. It's um, Luke chapter 22. We're going to look at verses 41 to 44. They're up here on the screen. He walked away about a stone's throw, So imagine how far can you throw a stone in your prime, right? Okay, that's how far he is. He walked about a stone's throw. He knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently. And he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Amen. Let me pray for us after I've just read this. Father, we thank you for uh, becoming human. 
uh, for coming down and living a life like we live. We thank you for that. We thank you for a peek into the intimate moments um, that you as the triune God shared with one another. And we pray that we would glean from that what you ha- would have us glean from it um, to learn how to bear your image in this world. Amen. Okay, now if you're here today and you've never heard any story from the Bible and this is your first exposure, I'd imagine your first question might be, how in the heck did we get here? Right? So just to give a little bit of context, this is Jesus. He just spent three years in ministry. He gathered an entire revolution of people. They marched on Jerusalem. He rides in. They want to make him king. He essentially goes into the temple. He destroys a bunch of stuff. He's really mad. He's talking about how he's going to knock the temple down. People are pretty confused. They don't know what's going on. And then now Jesus is in the garden, and one of his best friends is about to betray him and give him up. And Jesus thinks it's his duty to go and die a, cru- a, a, a death of crucifixion for the world. That's, that's where we get to right now. So if you're new to the Bible, you might, you might be a little weirded out, probably. That's okay. I'm going to try to tell you that story and give it a little bit more context. Why are we reading about a guy who seems to be talking about willing, willingly entering into his own crucifixion a completely unjust torture and murder at the hands of a corrupt government all with just hope that it might change something? This has got to be the perspective of the disciples, doesn't it? Really? Really? This is what you're going to do? It sounds kind of like a headline you might read in the New York Times. Guy goes willingly entering his own death through a completely unjust torture and murder at the hands of a corrupt government. I mean, right? That's like, this is like New York Times material. I want to start with a scripture that for me has begun to define almost every other scripture and even almost every human experience that I encounter in the world. It has and it will continue, I believe, to shape my entire understanding of who we, everybody in this room, humans are, how we got here, and what we're supposed to be doing, and why. Genesis one twenty seven. So God created mankind in his own image, created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, as I've read through Scripture, guys, it seems to me that the entire Bible, every author, has written their portion with an eye on this passage, this this one passage. I really believe that. Who wrote the book of Genesis? Does anybody know? Moses. Some people know. Some people have been to Sunday school. Moses wrote the book of the Bible. Here's what's crazy. Moses grew up as an Israelite in the house of Pharaoh, his enemy. So Moses grows up eating at the table with the Egyptian king every single day. Every day. 
Meanwhile, his people are completely oppressed and obliterated, right, by Pharaoh. No animosity at the dinner table for Moses and Pharaoh and the kids of Pharaoh. Everybody's having a good time. I don't think so. Pharaoh, the king, brutally oppresses the people of Israel, treating them like animals. Did you know that there was a term in ancient Egypt that was reserved for one person and one person alone? Pharaoh was considered to be the sole human being in the world who deserved the, the, the name image bearer of God. And that's where Moses grew up. And in the first 30 verses of the Bible, Moses writes the words that all human beings are made in the image of God, men and women. Now, you want to talk about a revolution? How about the guy who grew up in the house of the king, where the name is reserved for one person being deemed to all mankind. That's a revolution. Or the makings for it. Image bearing is universal. This is in your, pa- in your notes. Image bearing is universal. It's before faith. All human beings are made in the image of God. Regardless of gender, faith, race, age, position, status, all human beings bear the image of God. A knowledge that all humans have the capacity for what I would call godliness. God image bearing behavior, right? We can do it. I believe that throughout the entire Old Testament, this is what God desires of humankind and what mankind is ultimately seeking to do. They're always trying to bear God's image. God gives all sorts of information to help people understand. First, he's like, okay, let's start with 10 rules. First of all, you want to bear my image? Try it this way. They like, he, gets, he doesn't even get done giving the rules and they've already messed it up, right? He like gets to the bottom of the mountain. He's like, okay, I've got the rules. We've got this calf. You guys are really terrible. You're really not good at this. Right? It's really bad. Um, He gives all sorts of of rules, but I believe one of the, the clearest revelation points that we have in the Old Testament, where they get the closest... Because they do get close from time to time. You read the story and David is a man after God's own heart. You get all these characters who are like pretty close. They're like, that's pretty close, right? And you hear God kind of like, yeah, that, that's good. That's a good one right there. That was really good. It's not quite, but it's close, right? But at the end, at the end of um, the message, we're going to come back to this text. But I want you to have it in mind, so I'm going to read it out loud right now. It's Isaiah 58, 6 through 11. This is a great one. Is not this the fast that I choose, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from him? 
Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then, if you do those other things, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You will cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger, the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom will be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and he'll make your bones strong. I love this. I love this image of God thing. And you shall be like a well-watered garden, a spring of water whose waters do not fail. We're going to come back to this passage, but I want you to have it in your mind. So throughout the history of the people of Israel, although humankind gets some understanding of what it means to bear the image of God, they just screw it up so badly. In some absolutely terrifying and terrible ways, it gets so bad that it seems, as the story goes, that God basically gives up on mankind. It's what it seems like. Again, if you're new to Scripture, or even if you aren't, let me try to paint you a picture. Imagine you're an Israelite living in the first century. So this is when Jesus was born. Imagine you're, you're part of the Israeli, Israeli group who's living in the first century. You would be reading scriptures that were written more or less consecutively from the time that Moses is called to lead Israel out of Egypt and wrote down the first scripture. You're reading scriptures that that were written essentially consecutively from the time of Moses. Through the reign of David, through the reign of Solomon, the fall of Israel, the occupation by the Babylonians, until being ruled by the Persians about 500 years ago, 500 years before the first century. Remember, you're a Jew living in the first century. As a first century Jew, you might be thinking, what in the heck happened 500 years ago after the prophet Malachi? What happened? Did God leave us 500 years ago? Did he give up on humankind? Did he give up on Israel? Did we mess it up so badly, unable or unwilling to bear his image, that he has really just delivered us into the hands of our enemies forever? This is not just what they were maybe thinking. There's like a ton of evidence that shows that most of Israel was getting like, oh, oh man, this might be, we might not have anything left. I would say at this time, they're really, if you're a Jew living in first, in first century Israel, Palestine, there really only remained hope for hope. Imagine that. Such oppression, such distance from God, that your hope might just be that your people could have hope again. A hope that maybe someday God might just speak again. 
let alone come back, free us from our enemies, and help us to fully bear his image. During the first century, there seemed to be such a special focus on the promises that God made to send his spirit also to live inside of people, to bear his image from the inside out. There's all these promises throughout the Old Testament that say, when I come back, I'm going to come and I'm going to put something in you that's going to make you bear my image from the inside out. It's going to be different. But always the question for these people would remain, what is the image of God? We still don't have the answer. After 500 years of silence from God, after decades of corruption from within the leadership of Israel, after hundreds of years of persecution from their enemies, Jesus arrives on the scene. This guy named Jesus. Now, again, you're a first century Jew. You're probably not in direct contact with Jesus' ministry. If you're a first century Jew, chances are you've heard about him, but you've never encountered him yourself. Until the weeks or days leading up to the revolution, Jesus' revolution's descent on Israel during Passover, the biggest holiday for all of Israel. Now, you're on your way to Jerusalem also. You're definitely going to come into contact with this guy or his revolutionaries. Here's a guy who in the three years leading up to this moment has traveled through the most rural areas of Israel, areas abandoned by both leadership of Israel and leadership of Rome, and he's begun to claim to these peasants that he is the image bearer of God perfectly. That's quite the claim. He says, if you want to know God and the image of God, you need to know him and act like him. And so, here in my focus scripture, Luke 22 we get an intimate picture, not only of what it means to bear God's image, but also how difficult it is, even for the Son of God. Let's read it again. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently, and he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Jesus senses that he is being called to sacrifice in the worst possible way. And he hopes, at least at this moment in the garden, that his sacrifice will actually change something. He believes that. That it will bring help in some way to people. That it will be the will of God. I've got to imagine that throughout the weekend of his torture, at times, Jesus had to come across the thought, surely they will see that I'm doing this to love, to love them. 
Surely they will see that. Right? Surely these people will see that I'm loving them by doing this. Maybe at times he's just hoping that his death will not be the end. Hoping because he has a clear sense. He has a clear sense that the sacrificial act would bring about real and complete critical human change. He has this clear sense that what he's doing, this sacrifice, will bring about human change in the world. But for all his talk, all his preparation over the last three years, when it comes time to actually deliver himself unjustly into the hands of a corrupt court ruled by a corrupt government that will make a mockery of justice in a trial and then will spend two days torturing him and then at last will murder him, when it comes to do that, he cries out looking for another way. He's human, right? He's God. So he says, your will, not mine. This, I believe, is the penultimate element of God's, of bearing God's image. This is it. Choosing to sacrifice, even to give up what might seem like your whole life, just for the hope that others might gain life. This is Jesus' act. It's his pinnacle act. Choosing to sacrifice, even to give up what might seem like your whole life, just for the hope that others might gain life. You guys know the story of Jesus and the rich man? Jesus and the rich man. Rich man asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And after some dialogue, Jesus tells him that he must sell everything that he owns and give it to the poor. Rich man can't do it. He walks away sad. Guys, I wish the rich man could be in the garden at this moment. I wish the rich man could see Jesus himself crying out to God that he doesn't want to give the one thing that he's called to give up. I think the rich man wouldn't feel so alone if he was with Jesus in the garden, he knew how hard it was going to be to sell everything he owned and give it to the poor. I have this passage. So I don't have to feel alone when Jesus calls me to that. You have this passage. Right? We don't have to walk away sad. We can be comforted, comforted, knowing that the author and perfecter of faith did it. We're not alone. I don't feel so alone because my king, my savior, my God, he is the author and perfecter of faith. And faith is the assurance, it's being sure of what is hoped for. And Jesus bears the perfect image of God because he hopes for full life for all people and he's faithful to act toward it. And then he bids us 
come and follow. He bids me come and follow. Guys, 10 years ago, one of my best friends, his name is Michael, called me up, and he asked me to complete an endurance race to raise money for kids in Africa. I had a two-letter answer for him, N-O. Michael, no, thank you. I hated running, even more than you, I bet. I would put money on it, actually. I still don't like it. I really hate fundraising. I'm not asking my friends for money. Get out of here. But it seemed in that moment like voices from both outside and inside were calling me to do it. So I reluctantly, begrudgingly, I did, signed up. I was really resistant. Not like sweating drops of blood in a garden resistant, but like pretty resistant though, right? There's a team dinner the day before the event and Michael asks me to share my story because he knows I'm, I hate running. He knows I don't run, but I trained for the event with my wife and we were going to do it. it Raise like, I don't know, a couple hundred, 800 bucks or something like that. I stood up to share how this crazy experience had somehow filled me in some way, I didn't, I didn't really understand it, but I stood up to share this story. Somehow, that's so why I had all this stuff written down. I opened my mouth, I got up front, got the microphone, began to speak, opened my mouth, nothing came out. Instead, I just start crying. Not like, oh, that's so sweet, he's crying. Blubbering. <laughs> like, sounding really gross kind of crying, right? To the point that my wife, who hates public speaking, (laughs) literally stands up, comes up to the front, takes the mic from me, delivers like a two-sentence story of, of our training, puts the mic down, and then takes me back to my seat. I'd never said a single word the whole time, just crying up front. I told, I told Michael right afterwards, I was like, I never cry about this stuff. He's like, sure you don't, Brad. You're never speaking again at any of our events. What's going on? I had a lot of time to think about that time. I'll tell you what I think was going on. I think I was designed to be an image bearer. I think when I chose to sacrifice the one thing I wouldn't sacrifice just for even the chance the hope that it might bring life to another person I became more full than I ever could have imagined because it's the way I was made it's not just true because it's a rule it's true because it's the design You better do this in order to feel... No, you're just made to feel that way. We walk as image bearers. I want to revisit this passage from Isaiah 58 to wrap things up. I want you to see three things in this passage. 
I'm gonna, I want you to see these three things. They're in your notes as well. Sacrificial behavior that brings life to others. Second phrase, bring life to others. And experience the fullness of life. Let's just see those three things as we work through this passage. And I'm going to try to call them out for you. Is not this the kind of fasting, which is sacrificial behavior? Fasting is sacrificial behavior. Is this not the kind of sacrificial behavior I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, bring life to others, and un... Oh, I better read the version that's on the screen. (laughs) To loose the bonds of wickedness and undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke, those four phrases, bring life to others. Is it not to share... Your bread, sacrifice with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house. That's going to be sacrificial. Next slide. When you see the naked man, to cover him and not hide yourself from him. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. You'll experience the fullness of life. Then Your healing shall spring up speedily. You'll experience the fullness of life. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You'll experience the fullness of life. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take take away the yoke from your midst, if you behave sacrificially, the pointing of the finger, and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out, if you behave sacrificially for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom will be as the noonday. You will experience the fullness of life and the Lord will guide you continually, satisfy your desire in a scorched place even, and he'll make your bones strong. Guys, I want my bones to be strong. I need them to be strong. I need resurrection now and later. It's what I need. I need it now and I need it later. I want the fullness of life that Jesus promised when he said, I have come to give them life and give it to the full. I want that. I want that promise that you claim, Christ. I'd encourage you to read the entirety of Scripture with these three concepts in mind. Every passage you come to, just keep them in your mind. Every passage you come to. So, now what? Well, there's some opportunities that you have to respond, to do that, to behave sacrificially in order to bring life to others. Here at at, uh, Maple Grove Covenant Church, they've got some things, one thing called local outreach. They mentioned it during the announcements, local outreach. It's an opportunity to get involved and serve people. They've got trips to the Dominican Republic, trips to Kenya. Today, I'm asking you to do the same thing that my friend asked me to do 10 years ago. I'm asking you to give up the one thing you don't want to give up. I'm asking you to join the Maple Grove Covenant Church 
and Team World Vision team to train for and complete the Twin Cities Marathon for a child in Africa. Now, right now, you're like, no, no. I'm like Jesus in the garden. No, thank you. Guys, right now, there is a nine-year-old girl. She's returning from an entire day of searching for water in Kenya. It's about 5.30 p.m. there right now. The inside of her hand hurts from the way that the jug rubs against it. You know that feeling? Her neck is sore. She's nine. Her neck is sore from carrying the jug on the top of her head for part of the trip. She has a bellyache. But her belly aches because the water that she found is making her sick when she drinks it. She walked all day today. She found water. She brought it back to her family. She's going to drink it. She's going to have to make that trip to tomorrow, and her belly hurts the whole time. It's making her baby brother sick. It's wrong. That is wrong. The truth is, it doesn't have to be that way. That doesn't have to be her existence. When she's 12, she cannot make that trip anymore. But it's not just going to happen. It's only going to happen if the church bears the image of God in the world, if they do the thing they don't want to do to bring life to the people who they don't even know. It's only going to work if we actually believe in Jesus and then follow after Jesus. Got a 70-year-old man signed up for his first marathon with our team this year. First marathon, 70 years old. 82-year-old guy completed an L.A. marathon six weeks ago. First marathon. 14-year-old did a marathon two years ago with his grandma here in the Twin Cities. She was 68. First one for both of them. They finished multiple hours apart from one another, but they... They did it. Every single one of you may have just turned into the rich man. (laughs) You're probably all thinking, surely he's not talking to me. Surely not. Just like every person God's ever called, you're wrong. Well, yeah, somebody should do that. (laughs) Yes, you. I am talking to you. Guys, it's time that we stop saying, not me, to radical love, to the thing we would never do. It's time to start saying yes to sacrificing in ways that seem totally foolish, that seem insane. Like dying on a cross. It's foolishness, Paul says. If you do it, though, it's going to make your bones strong. And you'll need strong bones if you're going to try to run a marathon. I'll tell you that. Guys, on the other side of yes, on the other side of sacrifice, on the other side of the cross, it's where we're going to be made strong. If today you felt a nudge, a tug at your heart, a little whisper that this is for you, if you felt that, then right after the service today, we're going to have a little meeting right up here. It's like 10, 15 minutes. 
about what it would look like to run, to walk, to complete a race like this as an image bearer of God. If the Holy Spirit is inviting you to do this, please do not say no today. You can say yes today, just long enough to make it to the meeting maybe. And then we'll talk through what the next steps might be. You don't have to be fully committed right now. I want you to know that. But if you feel a whisper or a tug that this might be for you, I want you to join us after the service. We're going to have a brief video. In 2006, one man heard a divine whisper that he could help the most vulnerable kids in the world by running marathons. So he said yes. He felt God ask him to invite others into the same vision. So he did. Many people felt scared of the unknown. Fear prevailed, and they said no. But many people pushed through that fear, and they said yes. The first year, a hundred people said yes. The next year, four hundred said yes. Then a thousand, then two thousand. As people said yes to new challenges and to changing the lives of kids and communities in Africa, their own lives started to change in drastic ways. I started this year, this is my first year, I have only been out of a wheelchair for two years now. In the beginning, I was like, mm, my knees, mm, I got too much weight, mm, hold on. But I stuck with it. And I just went all in. I thought, I'm 55, why not? Bev did it at 60, I'll do it at 55. <laughs> this has really brought me back, helped me recommit my life to the Lord, but uh, also to those less fortunate. And plus, the goal of like bringing clean water, that, like, that's beautiful. So I was like, this is something I really want to do. We really did a lot of training, just the two of us, and it was just such a bonding moment of yeah. that that time when you your your strength is faltering and the person next to you yeah. carries you through it. Well, I've lost 75 pounds through this, and I couldn't imagine my seven-year-old having to go run and get water for our family. So that keeps me motivated and focused. I plan on running a marathon every single year until I die. Whoa! We'll see how that happens or how that goes. Over the last 10 years, over 25,000 people have joined Team World Vision and they just keep saying that magic word, yes. Every one of those yeses also represents kids in Africa who get to say yes to life, yes to health, yes to an education, yes to hope. Hundreds of thousands of kids. Every movement, every revival, every revolution in the history of mankind has begun because someone said yes. They are yes people. We are yes people. You are one too. As long as there are children in this world without clean water, we will continue saying yes. Thank you, Bradley. And I think uh, it's so easy for us, you know, with a bottle of water, we, we have uh, access to this and we take it for granted. And I just want to leave this right here and have you think about um, saying yes as you walk as an image bearer is to participate in this year's marathon to provide clean water for children in Africa. At this time, we're going to continue in worship as we receive this morning's offering. Let me pray for that. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning and, and Bradley's message for us as a challenge uh, for us to sacrifice. And God, as we continue in worship, um, we give of our tithes and offerings as image bearers because you are a giver. So for us to give of a portion of what you have provided for us, we are reflecting who you are. 
So God, bless these tithes and offerings, and we pray that all glory would go to you. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody said, amen.